The following is a production of DifferentBrains.com. Welcome to Spectrumly Speaking. I'm Becca Laurie, your house autistic, your friendly certified autism specialist, your life coach, and also maybe your favorite ice cream flavor. I don't know. And I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Dr. Lauren Gerber. I'm a clinical psychologist and author of Autism and You. I'm sitting here with my therapy dog, Giovanni, right now, and looking forward to our chat. Well, how was your week this week, Lauren? It's been pretty busy over here with it being Autism Awareness Month, so I'm yeah. keeping to keep up with everything going on in the area. Absolutely. I had a little bit of a hiding weekend this past weekend. It was like I kind of noticed that I was feeling kind of out of sorts, and I couldn't figure out why, and uh, I took some time to myself and kind of thought about it for a while, and I figured I was feeling a little overwhelmed by Autism Awareness Month, actually, and it was only like week two, but I was just feeling like I was being, I don't know, barraged by information that I really wasn't um, prepared, like I didn't have my armor on to deal with it yet, so I kind of spent the weekend just dealing with my autism with a little A and not autism with a big A, um, and dealing with my stuff and, and some of my stuff. I was really kind of out of the loop of things this weekend. Um, but it's good. It was a recentering moment. Well, I'm glad you're centered and back with us. Who do we have today? Today, we are being joined by Dr. Stephen Shore, who is one of my very good friends, um, and he is also an amazing advocate. He was diagnosed with atypical development and strong autistic tendencies and con considered too sick for outpatient treatment. Dr. Shore was recommended for institutionalization. Nonverbal until four, and with much support from his parents, teachers, wife, and others, Stephen is now a professor at Adelphi University, where his research focuses on matching best practices to the needs of people with autism. In addition to working with children and talking about life on the autism spectrum, Stephen is internationally renowned for his presentations, consultations, and writings on lifespan issues pertinent to education, relationships, employment, advocacy, and disclosure. His most recent book, College for Students with Disabilities, combines personal stories and research for promoting success in higher education. A current board member of Autism Speaks, President Emeritus of the Asperger's Association of New England, and advisory board member of the Autism Society, Dr. Shore serves on the boards of the Asperger's Syndrome and High-Functioning Autism Association, the U.S. Autism and Asperger Association, the Scientific Council of OR, and other autism-related organizations. How are you doing, Stephen? Uh, I'm good. It's uh, great to be here. During Don't Forget You Are Autistic Month. <laughs> Don't forget for a second, even. <laughs> exactly. I know you've been speaking on the world stage, um, but maybe just here for today, you could tell us a little bit about how you were first diagnosed, if that would be all right. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I was struck with what I call the regressive autism bomb at 18 months. Happens to about 30% of us on the spectrum where after typical development, there's a regression, loss of speech, functional communication, meltdowns, withdrawal from the environment. So in short, I became a pretty severely affected child on the autism spectrum. There was so little known about autism at that time that it took my parents a year to find a place for diagnosis. And when they did, the doctor said they had never seen a child who was so sick. And I guess just the best thing to say is that fortunately, my parents advocated for me and 
refuted the professional's recommendations for institutionalization in favor of uh, being admitted to their program. Uh, however, they said that they wouldn't have space for, for about a year. So it was during that year that my parents had to implement what we today would refer to as an intensive home-based early intervention program. And the focus of this program was music, movement, sensory integration, narration, and imitation. And that's just today's terminology. The concept of early intervention didn't even exist. They were ahead of their time. Yeah, yeah, they were. And it was just parents trying to reach their kid. We definitely see that a lot. It's a story we, we hear a lot, absolutely. And I always say, if we can't thank the parents, I don't know who we would thank. If I didn't have my mom around to speak for me, I would have been in a totally different scenario than I am right now. Um, but that brings me to my next question, Stephen. I mean, it's something we talk about a lot within the community, but it's an opportunity to start a bigger question, bigger conversation rather. Um, what are your thoughts on the gender differences of, of the phenotype of autism? Meaning how does it, does it appear to you that it looks differently um, in men and women? Do you want to weigh in on that conversation? Yeah, I definitely do. And I think what is happening is that, well, like with many things, uh, research and whatnot tend to be male-centric. And uh, as a result, most doctors are looking for boys or males on the autism spectrum. And autism does present itself uh, differently in females. And uh, combined with that, uh, females tend to have a little bit of additional reserve in terms of uh, social interaction ability. So that can also help to disguise it. And also the societal differences. The, the boy who is quiet, doesn't make much eye contact, sits in the corner, does his own thing, is not necessarily on the autism spectrum, but at least that gets noticed in school. Uh, the, the girl in school, or fast forward to the woman in, say, a workplace or, or school or community who does the very same thing, people just say that she is shy and don't think much about it. I think we find that to be the case for sure. Um, and I see it very similarly. So I think what we need to do is uh, develop more sensitivity and awareness of what autism looks like in females and so that uh, we can climb upon, uh, upon the um, awareness wagon yes and suddenly when we see it females exist they're here they're here <laughs> yeah they make up just barely more than one uh, 50 percent of the population i know it's amazing yeah well you're a professor at Adelphi, we know that, and that you you teach special ed. Um, and Adelphi is also the home to the Bridges of Adelphi program, um, which helps people on the spectrum to transition to college. Um, what Do you feel that women on the spectrum have a more difficult time with the transition or um, asking for their accommodations, self-advocating? Um, I think women do uh, in uh, a number of ways. Again, uh, People may not take a, uh, an autism diagnosis or differences uh, in women uh, as seriously or with as much attention as they do with men. Uh, so uh, that's a challenge. And there's still a, there's still, there's still a myth that uh, autism is a male condition and 
that it's in, uh, is in favor of four to one uh, mm -hmm. with males. So I think that ratio four to one is grossly overstated. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's quite uh, a one to one match, but it's definitely closer to that than that than four to one. Mm -hmm. So as that ratio is explored and we see that there are men and women just presenting quite differently, that both can be diagnosed on the spectrum, that myth may go away um, and we may have more awareness in, in the population as a whole. When you're teaching at the university, um, do you find that having a diagnosis impacts um, how you teach? Uh, yeah, it does, uh, because I I can talk from uh, personal experiences. Uh, I also have a wide uh, collection of friends or social network. Uh, as, uh, as paradoxical as that sounds, uh, us people on the spectrum do have social networks, uh, often with many others on the autism spectrum, which means that I can uh, sh I can share experiences both mine and others in the in uh, with my students so I think that's that's of uh, that's definitely of help and uh, uh, also uh, having autism uh, helps me structure and keep things organized in terms of uh, creating and delivering course material interesting I've never had the pleasure of sitting in one of your classes, but I definitely would like to. No, we've got to change that. Absolutely. I think also with, with the Internet and having the ability to have a website and communicate uh, with people across the globe, it helps also to tell your story and to increase your network overall. Yeah, definitely the interconnectivity of the Internet is of great help. And now with uh, online courses... Uh, it's able to transcend the boundaries of international borders to teach material because so often when I speak overseas, there are many people who are interested in uh, taking uh, my courses at Adelphi. Uh, that, in that interest fades away pretty quickly when they find out the requirements for getting a student visa, and then often someone needs to sponsor that person, and they need to have some huge amount of money in their in the in their bank account, like $50,000 in order to sponsor somebody. And not many people are also willing to take that responsibility. Yeah, it's a, it must be interesting to be teaching this information internationally and um, just seeing the way, you know, kind of the phase that each country is in, in terms of what they know about autism, how, you know, visual it is for them, how, um, you know, how talked about it is in their country, and of course, what the stigma is that it's attached to culturally in each country. It must be fascinating. Yeah, that is uh, that is fascinating to see what is happening with autism in, in other countries. Mm -hmm. uh, fascinating stuff. And, uh, you know, often in the United States, uh, we think we're the biggest, baddest, and the best in everything, but mm -hmm. there's a lot to learn from what other countries are doing. And they're doing some stuff that's better than us, so we really need to yeah. share. When you're over in the other countries and you're giving presentations, I know lately you've been really discussing strength and success approach to ASD. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that and why the language is so important in it? Yeah, it really is. So what I'm proposing is that we transition from what I call a deficit-based model of how we consider 
people with autism towards a strength-based model. So what that means is asking for the abilities, asking the question, what can the person with autism do, and working with those strengths. Nobody makes a career out of doing something that they're bad at, and mm -hmm. this should people on the autism spectrum. And that leads into what I call the three A's of autism, the first being awareness, and there's been a lot of work done on that with Autism Speaks, Autism Society, and a whole host of organizations. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the entire world is becoming aware of mm -hmm. what autism is and when they see it. And that's a good thing to do. Yeah. What it does, what that awareness does is build a good foundation in which to move on to higher levels of acceptance. And that is accepting the person on the spectrum for who they are, the characteristics we may have, and working with them. So that's another important change in language, too. So often people do things to people on the autism spectrum, mm -hmm. various interventions. They may be educational, biomedical, or others. And things will be much better if we think about working with mm. people on the autism spectrum. And then... Uh, the pinnacle is appreciation, and that is when people on the spectrum are valued for who we are, for the characteristics we have, and we're beginning to see some organizations that are reaching that appreciation stage, and two that come to mind are some small IT companies such as Microsoft and SAP. Mm -hmm. They uh, vowed to make 1% of their workforce of people on the autism spectrum because they know that those individuals on the spectrum who are IT geeks can do a faster job, a better job than most other people. And certainly there are challenges. There's definitely significant challenges to having autism. We do have to still keep them in mind. We can't ignore them and we need to remedi remediate for them. And these companies uh, have engaged in uh, training and education of those individuals on the spectrum who are working for them. So they're working with it. Mm -hmm. And in that way, everybody benefits. And we're also transitioning from employment uh, of being a charity model and that it's a good, it's a good thing to hire the person with autism in your company, it's a charitable thing to do, it's just being a good corporate citizen, so you should do it. Two, recognizing what those of us on the spectrum can contribute and hiring us the same way that everybody else is hired and that it's just a good business decision. Mm -hmm. Very important distinction that you're yeah. making, one that I'm glad that we're speaking about because the, the awareness, acceptance, and appreciation, that appreciation piece is so has been left out of the equation a little bit in terms of all the skills and uh, abilities of individuals with autism and how varied this is a, a large diagnosis. Um, DSM-5 made it even bigger. So I think that looking at the strengths and looking at the interests and the unlimited potential and then appreciating that is something that this month should really be all about. Right. And uh, exactly. So I'd like to call it the three A's of autism month. Yes. I know that you just rang the NASDAQ bell for autism uh, acceptance month. Are we renaming it the three A's of autism month? Yeah, I think we should. 
It's a great idea. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how that came to be? No, that was pretty funky. Uh, uh, some things, uh, a lot of things, just like this opportunity, uh, came up suddenly. I got a call from Autism Speaks, who uh, rings the uh, rings the Nasdaq bell uh, once a year for autism awareness, and so every year they have uh, they have the ceremony, and this time they wanted Autism Speaks to bring a board member, and they decided, well, maybe I should be that board member as long as I was in the country and could get over there. So fortunately, it did work, and I only found this out like the day before, and I went down and rang the bell. It got it pretty well set up. You start out, you get there an hour early, there's refreshments, they give you a little bit of history of the NASDAQ and tell you how the how the whole ceremony goes. There was an interview on Facebook uh, about uh, Autism Awareness Month and uh, what the meaning of it meaning of it is. And then came time to ring the bell, so I gave a 49-second uh, presentation before ringing the bell and rang it, and everybody clapped, and it was all a good time. And hopefully uh, it does raise awareness, acceptance, and appreciation because – I talked about that, those three A's, both during the Facebook interview and during that short presentation before ringing the bell. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the, the nitty-gritty and dirty of it all right now <laughs> and kind of okay. say, I was really proud of you, and I was really happy to be watching it and say, oh, my God, I'm so proud that Stephen just had acceptance on television, <laughs> which was yeah. genuinely my reaction. And so for me, it was you know, it was twofold. Of course, you know, we've known each other for a long time and we've, we've hung out a whole bunch. And so for me, it was like, oh my God, Steven's on TV. That's so cool for that moment. And then it was, yay, he said acceptance. And to see um, the Autism Speaks logo and to see you there representing our community and, and saying the word acceptance and having Autism Speaks in such a loud and proud and bright way use the word acceptance was really um a big deal for us within the community that deal with it all the time. And I just want to say thank you for kind of helping to lead us in that direction. Um, and thank you for using the word publicly so that we all get to see it being kind of rung in with this year that we're in a new phase of dealing with April, which is the only way I can call it now is, is April because it's really in a change phase. Um, yeah. And I was glad to hear the language difference. And I don't know if other people caught it, but I did. And I feel like it was it's a moment to be um, kind of pointed out for us in our community. It's a big growth phase, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, also, Autism Speaks, uh, uh, having the word acceptance in their new mission statement is uh, a very big development as well. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we have to all, you know, kind of sit back and say, well, it is a big machine, but how do we get ourselves involved in the machine instead of and move from the awareness phase of, of doing things to people on the spectrum and move to the acceptance phase of doing things with people on the spectrum, which I love to see with them. It was great. So I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. You know, it's great to be a part of the process and to move it along and uh, to see that more organizations are looking at that acceptance word. And it's going to take a while, but we'll eventually uh, get more and more people up to the level of appreciation. 
I think so. I agree. Um, we're going to talk about some stuff that's been in the news. If you want to hang out for it, um, we'd love to hear your opinion. All right. That would be great. Well, it's time for the news. One of the topics, Becca, that I thought we would talk about a little bit that I'm hearing, I'm in South Florida, and we're hearing a lot about Project Lifesaver, um, which was founded in 1998 by Chief Gene Saunders. And it's um, a, a 501c3 organization, but it tracks individuals um, using radio frequency devices like a wrist or an ankle bracelet that individuals who may be at risk and these individuals can range from a lot of different difficulties, um, from having seizures, epilepsy, dementia, Alzheimer's, but also autism. And I, as you know, I was a director of a center for autism for a couple of years ago. And uh, one of the things we saw is that children would sometimes leave or try to leave, and that we would be very, very cautious about making sure all the doors were alarmed and locked, and people were safe, and we knew where they were especially if they were nonverbal and couldn't express for themselves um, the need to be safe. And so this is, is it based in Florida, this, this group, the Lifesaver Organization? It's in, it, the agencies are in 46 states right now. Oh my goodness, okay. Yeah, it was, so it started in one and moved across the nation and other countries. So it's, it's being used a lot. It was um, using technology to track individuals, um, people that were missing originally and, and different police projects that were going on. And it's been now coming into the medical field pretty, pretty vigorously. Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting, I feel like there's going to be conversation about it. This is what I sense. I'm sure a lot of people will be upset with the idea of trying to like tag your child much like they were very upset when people started using those leash things that I see often in the mall whenever I go there, whenever rarely that is, <laughs> that you would find me there. But those kid leashes, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I've seen that also. <laughs> yeah, so it sort of kind of goes in that family, but at the same time, I can see being a very nervous parent about a wandering child, um, especially I live in New York. I can't imagine having a wandering child in New York. I can barely handle it when my cats and my dog are not around. So it's it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's a two-sided thing. I kind of am torn in both ways. And, and as the grandchild of someone with Alzheimer's, I can 100% tell you that I would have loved to have had it for my grandmother who once got into a taxi but didn't know where she lived. So absolutely, I would think about using it in that case. So in Florida, we have this thing called silver alert, mm -hmm. um, where individuals, older adults that are lost, they'll put it on the highway, the um, license plate, the tag number, and that something in the car, if they know the make and model, that somebody's missing and they're alerting just like an amber alert. Yeah. So there are times when tracking somebody makes sense and trying to make sure the proper help gets to them as opposed to them being able to get to the proper help um, is there. So it's very, it's interesting technology and its application um, that the way it's being used is, is, is all in, you know, in development over 20 years now. Well, I don't have as exciting a story to talk about. I'm sorry to say I did hibernate fully this weekend. So I was staying on the light side of autism for a while. Um, and one of the things that I, I read this past week um, was this woman wrote this really little interesting life piece about um, how she didn't see a lot of female autistic characters on television, but that one of the characters she was very drawn to was the character Bones from the TV show. Um, and in reading it, I thought, well, yeah, that's kind of true. I didn't really think about it that way. I'm always busy celebrating it when we have um, a character on the spectrum. Um, but 
didn't think to really point out all the times that I could, I felt kind of consistent with a TV character that maybe wasn't diagnosed, um, which rings true for my story of not getting diagnosed till I was uh, 36. So I thought it was really interesting and I, I shared it with the community because everyone was getting really bogged down in all of the negative Nancy's of, of Autism Awareness Acceptance <laughs> Month that um, these little pieces were falling through. So I thought that was interesting and I would love to, to maybe see it get pointed out. But more than that, I was excited to see somebody point out, I see it, I see the autism here, but nobody's talking about it. Uh, yeah, so I've, I thought often thought, I've often thought about that too. I'm, I very, I very rarely watch TV. I consider myself as visually illiterate, mm -hmm. but I do know enough about bones to see a number of autistic characteristics in that in that main character. Uh, in that main character. Yeah, I mean, it, I think she's pretty well on point. Um, certainly, her special interest serves her well. She definitely uses it as her career marker. So it's again a case of somebody saying, I have this skill set, I'm going to make my life about it. I'm going to bank on it, which is something we're trying to really get in the mindset of people in the community. Um, and I love that. She's brilliant. Um, and definitely she doesn't access emotions well. And I would say, you know, I feel really kind of in tune with that character. Um, but no, we don't see it being diagnosed. And we don't see it being talked about. And the last time I remember even thinking this long about the TV character was actually um, when the TV show Parenthood was out. Lauren, have you ever seen that show, Parenthood? Yes. Yeah. So they had this this child on the spectrum in the show as a character, and he was not on the spectrum in real life. And most people were focusing on that. But I was excited to see all of the family dynamics that went along with that character and how true to form you could kind of see um, this character developing within his family and finding himself. And I, I loved that piece. But one of the more shocking or more, I don't know, active moments during that show in regard to the spectrum was when Ray Romano's character came on and was getting diagnosed as an adult because he saw it in a kid. And I remember just feeling so grateful that this adult, diagnosis was happening on television for everybody. So, um, but it was so true to form that he got diagnosed by a child psychiatrist, which I thought was pretty, mm. you know, I was like, oh, well, that's pretty accurate. There's all these kids toys in his office. That's kind of how we feel. So I'm glad to see more people paying attention from that perspective, I suppose. You know, it, as you mentioned that, I'm thinking about the reason that I decided to to do some writing myself. I have a book, Autism in You Out, that won the Children's Moonbeam Award this year. And the reason that I put that book out and got in touch with Norm Bandel, who's this amazing illustrator who um, did the care and keeping of you and all these other books, he's a cartoon illustrator, so he makes things fun and happy, is I wanted to be able to tell a child's story first, first person so that people could relate to it for all the families that come into my office and say, I wonder if my child is on the spectrum. And then the second half of the book has the actual diagnosis written out so that people can look at it and say, do I fit this or don't I? Because until Julia came onto Sesame Street, and until people were looking carefully at TV and other places to see if they had similarities, a lot of individuals were feeling quite alone mm -hmm. and not sure what was going on and what made them different. And embracing their family members, as yours did, Dr. Shore, in terms of being the very best you can be, um, I like to think that the families in my practice are trying to figure that out mm -hmm. and doing their own 
uh, beginning diagnosis, therapy, understanding, appreciation, acceptance at home uh, before they actually go into the world looking for help, support, services, and eventually college like you're doing um, at Adelphi in terms of special education and going the distance. Whatever they want to be, there is no limit. Um, so that unlimited potential, I think, is um, so, so important. And I'd like to see that become uh, the reason we have this month is that people are unlimited. Yeah, I would love to add to that. I would like to see people kind of I want to say the word action, for lack of a better word. I, I want to see, we talk a lot, and I want to see more people doing. I want to see them walking the walk we talk. So um, hopefully we'll see a little bit more of that as, as our community temperature changes. I'd love to, to see that our work is gearing towards that. The language is changing from disability to ability, mm -hmm. exactly. um, from awareness to appreciation. So I think that as the, the words change and the people start hearing it and understanding, we're going to see on um, the climate change. Okay, I'm excited about it. So I'm looking forward to next year, I guess, more than I am this year. <laughs> um, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, thank you for sticking around for the news, Dr. Shore. You want to let everybody know where they can find you? Sure. It's uh, my pleasure to stick around. And in a fascinating conversation, I can be reached at the following website, which is www.autismasperger.com. Net. And if you forget the, uh, the the website, then just type in my name and the word autism after it into Google, and it should pop up that way, too. Um, I want to thank you, Dr. Shore, for taking the time out of your day to talk with us so we can share your story. It was a pleasure having you here. Oh, great being with you. And I think we all need to keep in mind that the potential of people on the autism spectrum is unlimited, just like with everybody else. And it's our... It's our duty and our mission to unlock that potential. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us today. If you're looking for more of the show, you can absolutely check us out at differentbrains.com and follow Different Brains at their Twitter, at DiffBrains. You can also look for them on Facebook. If you're looking for me, you can find me at www.beccalaurie.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn by searching my name as well as Facebook. And I can be found at drlaurengerber.com and also on LinkedIn. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes when you get a chance and don't hesitate to send us any questions for future shows. We want to keep our conversations going. Spectrumly Speaking is a production of Different Brains. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.